my name is Albertin. So uh, the reading uh, today is uh, Genesis uh, chapter 25, verse uh, 19 to uh, 34. Genesis uh, chapter 25, verse 19 uh, to 34. The birth of uh, Jacob and Esau. These are the family records of Isaac, son of Abraham. Abraham fathered Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took as his wife Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Padan Aran, and sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord was receptive to his prayer, and his wife Rebekah conceived. But the children inside her struggled with each other, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples will come from you and be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When her time came to give birth, there were indeed twins in her womb. The first one came out red-looking, covered with hair like a fur coat, and they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out grasping Esau's heel with his hand, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when they were born. Esau sells his birthright. When the boys grew up, Esau became an expert hunter, an outdoorsman. But Jacob was a quiet man who stayed at home. Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for the wild game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking a stew, Esau came in for, from the field exhausted. He said to Jacob, Let me eat some of that red stuff because I'm exhausted. That's why he was also named Edom. Jacob replied, First, sell me your birthright. Look, said Esau, I'm about to die, so what good is my birthright to me? Jacob said, Swear to me first. So, he swore to Jacob and sold his birthright to him. Then Jacob gave bread and lentil stew to Esau. He ate, drank, got up, and went away. So Esau despised his birthright. Well, hi everyone, it's good to be with you today. Now, I think I'm pretty much made to preach this passage. I love that I get to open up this part of God's Word with you today. 
because I'm basically, uh, look, I'm a twin. My name is Isaac, I'm, and I'm red and I'm hairy. So I think this passage is just perfect for me. So I'm really looking forward to today. Now, there was even a time in high school where I went by the name Beast because of my Esau-like temperament and my hairiness. And while I was at uni, some of my mates even called me Esau. There was a birthday party that I remember where one of my friends even gifted me a red lentil soup. So look, I feel quite attached to these characters in this passage. And I hope as a result of looking into it deeply together, that you might grow to understand them more, and even to understand yourself better as well. I think today we're going to, we're going to see some family resemblance to these characters. And I also hope that we come to see Jesus as our better brother than Esau and Jacob. So that's where we're heading to today. Now, if you remember one thing from today, I hope it is this greeting card. Now, just tell me, did you not start singing that song? Hello from your favourite child. Now, this story, it's all about favouritism. How these parents showed favouritism, how we tend to show favouritism, and how God does too. So that's where we're heading to today. But where have we been so far in the book of Genesis? Well, so far, God's already made these promises to a select few people. And not only to them, but to their offspring as well. If you've been with us in this series, we've seen the promises he's made. We've seen these characters, their flaws and their virtues. And we've heard of Abraham, Isaac, and today we meet Jacob. Now, at the start of this chapter, we hear how Abraham is finally sorting out his affairs. You can look there in Genesis 25, verse 1. We read how he takes another wife. Now, he's over 150 years old at this point. Like, how appealing must he really be? And yet, he marries Keturah. He already has a wife. He, he's married Sarah, and he has a concubine as well. But it seems like he's sorting his affairs at this end stage of life. And Abraham, he gives all he has to his son, Isaac. And then we hear that he dies at the age of 175. And we're not told the cause of death for him. We just hear that he was old, that he was surrounded by family, and that he was even buried alongside his wife, Sarah. It seems like a peaceful way to go. And there's this family reunion that happens. Isaac comes and Ishmael, his brother, come to bury their father. And yet suddenly, our attention, it shifts to Isaac. Now that Abraham has passed away, we follow Isaac's story. In verse 11, God gives this blessing to Isaac. Yet we start to think, Isaac's pretty old at this point, and he doesn't have any offspring of his own. He's 40 years old. So are these promises that God made to Abraham, are they really possible at this point in Israel's history? Well, we're going to dive into this passage and get an idea of what's going on at this time for them. And after we've done that, we'll think about how these events might actually impact our day-to-day as well. Now, from verse 19 to 22, the scene is set. I mean, why should we really care about these two children? Why does it matter 
uh, this rivalry, rivalry between twins. We ought to care about these twins because they're Abraham's grandkids. See, Abraham, he was promised some incredible things earlier in Genesis. See, chapter 12, you can read, God says this to Abraham, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And we read in verse 21 how Isaac pleaded with God as his wife was unable to to give birth. And we start to see this family resemblance. Just like Abraham and Sarah, they were unable to have children for so much of their lives. And Isaac, he also prays to God just as Abraham did. And in one verse, we're told that his prayers are answered. Suddenly, he gets to have children. But later, in verse 26, you might have noticed, he didn't, um, they didn't fall pregnant until he was 60 years old. That's 20 years of praying. 20 years of doubting if God would possibly fulfill his promise. But God shows up. He had promised great blessing would come from the offspring of Isaac. And that exactly happens here. And we see this unfold in this passage. So verse 22, Rebekah finally becomes a mother. But immediately there's this wrestling inside her belly. A struggle within her. And she prays to God. Imagine finally having your prayer for children answered. And yet this strange sensation happens. I can only assume that for many in our community, you've waited for children. Or maybe you're still waiting for children. And you understand this struggle. And no doubt you can recognize the joy that Rebecca must have had to finally fall pregnant. All those prayers finally answered. So what a confusing experience to go through, to feel those twins fighting within her. And Rebecca calls out to God, why? See, it doesn't seem to make any sense. She inquires of the Lord and God, he declares the fate of the twins. She's told that there are two nations in her tummy. And you just imagine her thinking, God, I just wanted a kid. Why have you given me two nations? But she's told that the older will serve the younger. And there are fathers of nations in her womb. And it happens. Out of Jacob come the twelve tribes of Israel, and out of Esau come many other surrounding nations. See, God tells Rebekah how her twins will struggle with each other and that they will always be divided. Now, I personally know what this is like uh, to be um, have a, a sibling rivalry, rivalry between a twin. Uh, this is my twin sister, Naomi. Uh, she's pretty great. Uh, hopefully you'll get to meet her at some point. Now, thankfully, our rivalries over the years, they had nothing on Jacob and Esau. So as kids, apparently we fought about all kinds of things. Uh, you won't be surprised. There were lots of wrestles and disagreements, um, temper tantrums along the way. And my parents like to tell me that we used to fight over food all the time. And I wondered, looking at these photos, can you tell who won? Uh, I'm the one who is on the left 
of the pictures down the bottom, uh, the boy, and that's my sister Naomi to the right. You can see I'm, I'm pretty chunky. I'm far bigger than she was. And apparently, I would regularly ride in the pram with two bottles of milk in my mouth. I seem to win over these small rivalries. See, from time to time, we were divided and there were fights. But thankfully, uh, over time, we've become great friends. But we see that's not the case for Jacob and Esau. They remain divided and they will for all of their lives. Well, verse 24 to 28, we see these divided personalities of the twins and the divided preferences from their parents. Verse 25, the babies are born, and throughout this whole narrative, we see just how different they are. They're polar opposites. See, Esau, he's born first. He has hair all over him. It's like a garment. And just imagine it. I think we've all seen babies who have you know, a full head of hair, and it's pretty extravagant. It's pretty amazing. Imagine a baby with a full garment of hair all over them. It'd be amazing to see. It's like a fur jacket, hair on hair. So understandably, they call this kid Esau, which means hair. And then comes Jacob, and he's completely smooth. In the moment that he's born, he grabs the heel of his brother Esau. And from then on, we see Jacob as a trickster. He's someone who grasps or cheats. He's a con man or a con boy at this stage, I should say. So we keep hearing how different these two boys are. Esau, he's a bit like a country kid. He, he likes to spend all of his time outside, out in the elements. He hunts, he kills. He's a man of the field and his dad loves him. And notice how we're told in verse 28 why Isaac loves Esau. It's because he benefited from all the animals that he killed. Now, if you're familiar with the TV show Survivor, you can imagine the contestants who are a bit like Esau. You can compare them. They're the, the tough hunters. They're the providers for their tribe. Contestants who rig up some kind of way to catch an animal or to, to spear fish in, in the water. See, Esau, he's, he's this big, tough, talented guy. He's a brute of a man, but he's pretty thoughtless as well. And then we meet Jacob. He's a quiet man. He enjoys spending time inside. And he's different in many ways. He's like the survivor contestant who loves to cook a meal for the whole tribe, but secretly behind their back, he's just plotting their demise. And we're told Jacob's mum, she loves Isaac. Uh, sorry, she loves Jacob. Two completely different possi- uh, personalities. And it's kind of shocking how we're told up front which of the parents, like which one that they like and they prefer. Often that goes pretty unsaid. It's, it's kind of rare to hear that. So this was something that jumped out to me as I read this passage. See, I always thought this narrative was all about the kids, the twins, how different they were and their rivalry. But I can see that it's just as much about the parents, about how they judge the kids and their favouritism. It puts a spotlight on the parents, their divided preferences. Now, you might be wondering why they favoured one kid over the other. I think we can see how damaging favouritism really is in families. 
And yet at times, depending on the day that we've had, depending on how we're feeling, I think we all tend to prefer. We can easily show favouritism to others, one over the other. We may not be so brazen about it to write it like this in plain uh, black and white. We may not ever verbalise it. But here we're told clearly that Isaac prefers Esau. Rebecca favours Jacob. And as we consider the culture that they were in at the time, it's probably little surprise that they favoured the kids that they did. Often the domain of the men in this culture was outdoors. It was all about taming the land, killing in order to provide. Whereas the domain where women spent most of their time was inside, in the tents. So maybe Jacob's choice was influenced by that. You wonder why he valued the strong provider Esau over his brother. And you start to consider why Rebekah preferred Jacob. Now we can't exactly tell. We're not told exactly why they made their choices. Other than verse 28, as I alluded to before. 28 says, Jacob loved Esau because he ate of his game. And there you have it. Much of his choice had to do with the benefit that he would receive from his son. See, so often we show favoritism to others who would come back with a benefit for ourselves. Somehow it would benefit us to favor them. And maybe as we read, you were drawn to one of these twins. Maybe you were repulsed by one of these twins over the other. See, this passage, it isn't saying one type of personality is better than the other. The point is that it's all about God's choice. It doesn't have anything to do with the brothers or with the parents' choice. So verse 29 to 34, we see the prophecy fulfilled. Esau gets played. See, before we actually start to think how this passage might impact us, well, how does the story end? Esau gets hustled. Jacob, he, he cooks up this lentil stew. And Esau's been outside working all day and he's famished. He comes in and he's exhausted. He just wants some food to eat. And he says to his brother, let me eat. I'm exhausted. And without thinking it through, Esau gives over his birthright to his brother. Just because he was hungry. Esau was thought, thoughtless. And he didn't realize the blessing that he had in being the firstborn son. The favor and the promises from God, from God which were tied to his birthright as the eldest son. So how does all this history, how do all these stories of Jacob and Esau, how do they impact us now? Well, in this passage, the twins, they form a warning for us. As we read, they really are foolish and we laugh at them from time to time. See, the narrator, it doesn't, the narrator doesn't seem to tell us what to think of these two. But it's clear that they are fools. See, from the start, we're shown their ugly side. See, something as simple as a red lentil soup is enough to trip these twins up. So how can we be warned by Esau? Well, essentially, he gave up a spiritual blessing for something physical and tangible, something uh, in the immediate. He lost focus of the privilege that he had as the firstborn. And it's interesting that Esau, 
comes to regret his decision later to throw away his birthright. See, together, we need to understand our privilege as those in the family of God and we need to hold on tightly to Jesus and not give that up for anything physically in this world. Or we'll end up regretting it like Esau did. See, consider, you know, what's the red soup in your life? What's something tangible and in front of you right now that might tempt you away from following Jesus? And consider what that is for you. Now, this week, might we beware of the things in this world which tempt us to throw away this gift that we have? And how can we, how can we be warned by Jacob? Well, he's guilty of scheming and deceiving. He deceives his way to a blessing which God had promised to him anyway. So what's our special way of manipulating others? Our subtle way. See, Jacob, he is a liar and he's misunderstood what it means to be blessed by God. So you can't coerce God, you can't twist his arm and make him do what you want. We don't have to make a bargain with God and promise that we'll do something in return for a blessing. What about the parents? Isaac and Rebecca, what can we learn from them? Well, our favoritism, our preferences are often shallow, just like theirs was. They're usually culturally determined or they're for our own benefit somehow. We need to recognize that and reflect on how we might have shown favoritism unhelpfully recently. See, the gospel of Jesus, it pushes us to extend love and to accept easily others, even if it's of no benefit to ourselves. See, unlike these parents, God prefers Jacob out of his perfect judgment. That's what we're going to think about, is God's choice of Jacob. See, before she even gave birth, Rebekah was promised by God that the older would serve the younger. And the character of the boys, it was never the basis of his choice. See, Paul reminds us of this in Romans 9. You can see it there. Yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's plan of election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. So it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. See, this expression of loving and hating, it involves a Hebrew idiom there in that last verse of Romans 9. See, if a father had two sons and made one the heir and, and did not make the heir um, the other child, well, he would have been told to have hated one of his sons. It's a comparative term there. See, the love and hate spoken of here in, in this passage, it's not so much related to the emotions but about the will of God that he chose Jacob over Esau. It's highlighting God's choice in all of this. It's about God's preference, far above any other self-serving preference that we might have. But you might be thinking, well, does this make God unfair? Is he just as unfair as those parents were? Well, Romans 9, I'd encourage you to continue reading. That exact objection is brought up and 
It's even answered. We're given this um, thought-through argument for why God is not unfair. But I think we need to keep in mind God's fairness and his character. It's not like God needed Jacob to deceive for his promise to be fulfilled. God didn't need that to happen. God knew this is how Jacob would act. But he clearly doesn't condone his behavior. See, God's choice of someone deceptive doesn't mean that God himself is deceptive. See, he used King Solomon to further his purposes. Even though Solomon, well, he was the child of David, of somebody that David should not have been married to, even though he was a child of adultery. It doesn't mean that God is somehow complicit in David's adultery. See, God used Jacob in spite of his deception. So you don't see Jacob's deception just, you know, uh, swept under the rug here. It's, it's laid bare. And throughout Genesis, deception comes up many, many times and it rips families apart. That is a clear thing we see. So if, if we call God deceptive, that's really us putting our own human traits onto God. I hope this focus on God's choice in uh, this story of Jacob and Esau... I hope it reassures you, even this week. See, right now, you may not be feeling your best. You might not be very productive compared to what you usually can do. Now, we can rest knowing that God, well, He chose us even before we were born as well. There's a passage there that's about to come up. Ephesians chapter 1. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. See, we don't have to work for our place in the family of God. It is a gift. Might we rest in that this week? Now this passage, I found it really humbling to read over the last few weeks. I think we should be able to see ourselves in this flawed family. See, we're capable of sibling rivalry too. We're capable of manipulation, of thoughtfulness. We see ourselves in these twins. But for us as a church, we don't need to pretend. I would like to encourage us to be open with our flaws. We are a bunch of people with a bunch of issues. We're ordinary people in awe of our extraordinary God. See, just like Abraham, Isaac and Jacob were a bit of a mess of a family, so we have our own struggles as well. But it doesn't change the fact that we're loved by our Heavenly Father. He cherishes us as if we'd never sinned. See, we we have unlikable traits as well, just like these patriarchs did. But God still chooses those he loves in his family. And we don't have to try to earn our place before God. See, the gospel of Jesus says that we do nothing to earn our place. So might we savour Christ? So he is the the brother that we need. See, Jesus, he is so different to these brothers, to these twins. We can always look to him. He always protects always loves. See, unlike Esau did, Jesus, 
He has never been thoughtless. He's never been um, making a decision that was careless. Jesus has never been distracted by something uh, in front of him in this world that made, made him uh, not value something more precious. Uh, Jesus, he is unlike Jacob as well. Jesus has never deceived or manipulated. He's never spoken half-truths to one of his family members just to gain something out of it. See, Jesus chose not to grasp hold of his place upon the throne, but took on the nature of a servant and made himself nothing. And also this week, might we savour our Father, our Father who chooses with our influence of sin. Unlike Isaac and Rebecca, God doesn't change his mind. See, parents can often change their mind, depending on the day, depending on who is in the good books for the day. But God chooses and that remains. He never chooses in a petty way. So might we find great rest in this fact this week. Please join me in prayer now. Dear Father God Almighty, uh, we confess that we are very like Esau and Jacob. We are often thoughtless. We can often uh, manipulate. Uh, We have so many flaws. We come before you as a good God. We thank you for the grace that is found in Jesus. Help us to keep looking to Jesus, who has never been thoughtless, who has never manipulated. Help us to follow our brother in the way that he lived. And Lord, we thank you that you choose. You choose out of your grace and out of your will, uh, that we cannot change your mind. We, we can't uh, manipulate you to our own ends. We thank you that you choose many to be part of your family. Might we rejoice in that this week. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.